Maybe Morgan dressed like Wolverine Maybe Dave ate his way out of trouble Maybe Dustin's diorama came in last Maybe Morgan tunneled out of jail Maybe Dustin ran for council member Maybe Dave found himself horribly miscast Find out what happened Yes, find out what happened Since when last we left our Welcome to When Last We Left Our Podcast, a bi-weekly storytelling podcast hosted by me, Morgan Pielli. Me, Dave Worth. And me, Dustin Diodato. Each week we tell true life stories inspired by events that happened to us since the last time we recorded this podcast. When last we left our podcast, Morgan endured SantaCon. Dustin experienced air rage, and Dave walked into this apartment. This week, Dustin cracks under pressure. Morgan doesn't go to the MoMA, and Dave does very little. So guys, welcome back from the last time we recorded this. Since then, we've had one major religious holiday. Did any of you celebrate that major religious holiday? I did, yes. Um, I mean, not in the religious sense. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> you know, basically me too. In the secular sense. Yeah. In the agnostic, half-Jew, half-Quaker sense. <laughs> yeah, and as a half-Quaker, half-agnostic myself. I celebrated the heck out of a birthday that is not at the time of the year the guy was probably born who would... 100% not want us to celebrate it this right. way. It's weird because nobody in my uh, family is religious, but we all have that obligation to still get together for Christmas and have a Christmas tree and do all of that. And it's just such a weird thing that it's become this default. Well, cause I, yeah, because I, I mean, I like everything about Christmas except for the religious part. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like, like, it's great to have a party and let's put some trees inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I like... I like certain things about it. I, I'm not a big stuff person, and no judgment if you are a big stuff person. But I like, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not really into buying things. I like. I like giving gifts. I don't necessarily right. like receiving gifts. Um, it puts me into a weird headspace. Uh, yeah, I understand that. I I do like receiving gifts, but I much prefer the giving part. Yeah, I'm, I like. I like the getting guys. Yeah, I don't know the, the getting is nice, but but I feel like the getting from specific people who know me really well because there's a lot of like obligation giving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yay, a thing, but I don't know what to do. I'll put this over. Yeah, here. I mean, I've also got like a a, a a a a living room that's the size of the table we're sitting around, and like right. no space anywhere in my place. So stuff just makes me tense which for those yeah. at home this is an 800 square foot table that we're sitting it is at right now. yeah this is a palatial we're, table. we're really far away from each other you know you know that scene in the first batman <laughs> <laughs> right right it's that table it's a large white room with a single table <laughs> in the middle of it um and these mics are really good at filtering out the massive cathedral echo yeah, yeah. It yeah, produces. Yeah. It's a good filter. Yeah. Uh, all right should we get into uh get into our thing yeah yeah, yeah let's do it. all right i think i am first in telling right. my story um so there is a there's one block that I need to walk to get to the subway from work. To, well, you know, like leaving the office to the subway. There's one block, and it is the most daunting block to walk for me in the world. Not because like I can walk a block. I can walk a block all day. Like that's you know. Um, but this particular block, uh, it's uh, down on Twenty Third Street, and uh, it's right before the park. So Google maps it. Um, it's, Ma- before Madison Square Park? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Got it's it. crossing uh, through towards Madison Square Park. Uh, now, I think it was Bloomberg back in the day decided he was going to make more areas uh, like 
pedestrian friendly and he closed down most of the street area and it made it all residential or made, not residential made it all pedestrian walkway mm. uh, but you still need to cross through it and uh in the winter when it gets dark is when it um is the scariest and worst because there's these elevation changes and you don't know when they're coming and there's like people walking in all different directions and it and it scares the hell out of me uh so anytime from like October to April freaks me out. And uh, you have a legitimate concern because your eyesight is worse at night, right? Right. Like mm. you yeah. already are vision limited, but it's even worse yes. in the evening. Um, and on this particular day, uh, it was also raining, uh, making it that much more worse because everything's just sort of weird and shiny and glary and there are puddles and you don't know if they're two feet deep or, you know, right. uh, like an eighth of an inch. Uh, so... Normally, a lot of times when I'm walking, I will go with a friend. Uh, and I've I recently bought a flashlight that is super awesome. It is like 750 lumens, for those of you who know what lumens are. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's also helped me. I'll just take out the flashlight and I'll go. Uh, so on this particular day, I was, you know, walking in that general direction. Uh, and it was sort of pouring rain. And I was kind of gathering my self-confidence or whatever you want to call it, uh, to cross. Um, and the light hadn't changed anyway, so I figured, okay, you know, I'll just settle for a second. Uh, and this lady comes over and says, you know, like, hey, do, do you need a hand? Can I, can I help you? And I was very touched and also offended because I was like, I've got it. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I, I appreciate it. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. Because there's this weird thing where, like, when somebody asks you if you need help, like you're like oh that is a good person yeah. but i can do it right. <laughs> i'm an adult i can cross the street leave me alone uh so and it's weird because there are certain times where i'll get asked a lot more frequently whether or not i need help like i guess somehow i have this look to me at certain times where people are like oh no he does not know what's going on uh but i felt like i did yeah did you feel like you were doing something in this particular case that made her no. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. No, I must Just have been, but I, yeah. Here. I want to note that you've told several stories on this podcast where you've been like, and no fuckers tried to help me. Right. <laughs> right. This lady tried to help me. Good. This lady good, tried to help good. me. I'm this not, fucker did. There are, right. there's was good, not wanted. There's good in the world. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I'm not condemning this lady. Yeah, no. Uh, this is the good lady. This is the good person <laughs> in the story. <laughs> sure. Uh, so then I, like, um, she sort of, like, as soon as I say no, thank you, disappears from existence i don't know whether or not she went the i don't know what fucking direction she went she stopped being uh, like a thing in the world so um then i started crossing and the thing is because i like normally have like one hand for the flashlight and one hand for the cane if it's raining i don't use an umbrella unless i absolutely have to so um i just sort of walk out into the rain um and as i probably have mentioned uh in this podcast before, uh, the um, people in people are very nice until there's a reason for them not to be, and then um, they're jerks. So as soon as I got into the rain, people could care less that or couldn't care less that I had the cane. Like everybody's just coming at me, and I'm like, and I and I don't take out the flashlight that I normally take out because I was so self conscious because of the lady before. And me being like, I got it. So um, I'm like, all right, I'm going to brave this fucking thing. And I'm 
And I'm walking across and like bouncing back and forth and like really frustrated. And I was like, this was a mistake. This sucks. So, uh, and like something keeps hitting me like from behind, like somebody's like walking like right behind me. And like, you know, when you're like going upstairs and like there's something, hmm. there's somebody like where your, your feet are like hitting into somebody or somebody's hitting into you. Right. And it's driving me fucking crazy. And, you know, I'm dodging back and forth uh, and it keeps hitting me. And I'm like, seriously, like what the fuck is going on? And I'm ready to sort of like uh, whirl around and, and yell at this person. Uh, and then I hear the tapping. And I realize what it is. It's another blind guy directly <laughs> behind me. <laughs> oh, wow. Who's hitting me in, in my feet with his cane. He's probably going, get the fuck out of the way. I'm hitting you with a cane. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so uh, I'm like, oh, wow. Um, and I'm ready to be like, weird. Um, and clearly like, A, the, this guy has no awareness that I have the cane also. So he's f- much farther off. Than I and we're much blinder than I am, hmm. uh, and uh, he uh, and he's like angry Eastern European, you know, like he's the he's that like sort of like you know kind of guy. Uh, so before I could say any word, he says, "Is that the park?" And I was like, yeah, yes, that that's the park." <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and he's like. Can I go? And I was like, no, 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 you, no, you can't go. Because <laughs> now, no, <laughs> he has his, no idea either. He, that he's he has asking. N- right. He has no idea. And all I'm thinking is, where did that lady go? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you don't feel comfortable telling him also that you're. No, I, I didn't feel like he would understand. You're also crossing like literally the largest intersection in Manhattan. Like, yeah. That yeah. Is, like Sixth Avenue, where it meets Broadway, <laughs> where it meets Madison Square Park is like enormous no it's a goddamn nightmare yeah mm-hmm. um and now this man's safety is like in my hands and yeah i if i could have explained to him what was going on i would have but right. you know when somebody starts talking to you and they're already angry right. and they're already like you're ruining their day so he keeps being like can i go can i go and i see that the light is still like it's i don't we don't have the walk thing mm-hmm. um but other people are going so i was like well if other people are going <laughs> oh, no you can go uh, and as soon as I say that to him, like I see a car coming and I was like, no, no, don't go, don't go, come back, come back, come back. Um, and he did. Um, and he, he, he I'm like, Ugh. and I was like, no, it's not my fault. Uh, and then, uh, and then eventually we got the walk sign and we walked and everything was fine. Um, but I almost killed the other black guy <laughs> in, so, you know, in my walking back. So, so you experienced an aphorism. What, I don't know what that word means. Uh, you, you're blind leading the blind. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. And it, it turns out... Uh, <laughs> You've got the shittiest grin on your face right now, Morgan. Thank you. Uh, it turns out it is, it is not a good idea. <laughs> so uh, don't let that happen. Yeah, and it's not, not like great. the first... Like, there, there's been other times where a blind guy has asked me like a much further blind guy asked me for help and they were a lot friendlier. And I was like, I will help you this. Like, well, the uh, other thing I want to say like about that is like, you know, a lot of times you've been like, and nobody offered to help. And I've tried to put like the best spin I could think of on that. Right. Which is that, well, all right. You know, maybe people just had their heads in the clouds or whatever. But when you see a blind guy asking a blind guy, (laughs) if he can go and the blind guy goes, yes. And then goes, no, 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 no. (laughs) 
step in. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, in that, you're right. In that particular scenario, there were like 30 people yeah. who could have helped Nobody in that process. Nobody said anything. Yeah. So. So I, I, I'm, I'm, you know what? Fuck those fuckers. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. People are the worst. Uh, so that's my story. Yeah. Wow, um, that is intense. So yeah, so I do feel like I cracked under the pressure because I almost like I could see the whole thing. Like I could see the car coming because like I don't know if, if you've ever walked that corner. There's like the the people sort of turn on to where you're going, right. like kind mm-hmm. of out of sight. So then when I saw the car, I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I, that that intersection is a nightmare uh, when you're when it's sunny and you're and you can see everything. It's yeah. It's, and with the rain, like you don't know how well that car can even stop. Like, right. There's so many considerations. Yeah. It's and so I, scary. And, and like I thought about like he'll probably be fine. I was like, no, 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 don't yeah. take chances with a man's life. <laughs> like you know, like because he's not gonna know that it's coming. Because yeah. he didn't know that I could like that I had a cane. Um. Anyway, thanks for listening. Wow. That's intense. Um, I had a much less intense day. This actually happened yesterday. Um, I went on a second date with a lady, a cartoonist. Um, I mean, it's like it's kind of an ambiguous because I'm not really like I'm trying to take it really slow. Last year was really heartbreaking for me. Um, I dated a lot, and then I met this woman, another cartoonist, and we hit it off. Um, she was someone who I I started to fall for in a way I hadn't fallen for anyone in a very long time. Uh, but there were some issues that we were unable to work out. And it was one of those, like, you know, people sometimes talk about like a mutual breakup. This is kind of the opposite in that we each ended up breaking up with the other person, but neither of us wanted to. So we ended up breaking each other's hearts and then both being going away feeling sad and no one feeling like any sort of relief. Um, I, and- I, I don't want to give you any weird false hope, but that's like... <laughs> That's like the second beat of every romance movie. Yeah. Isn't it? Like, yeah. I feel like I've had a lot of second beats of blank movie, okay. which some other time I can get into. Like my career, I feel like if I were to tell you the story of my career, it would sound like the first and second beat of um, a Ron Howard biopic, but then there was never a third act, <laughs> and it's always been very frustrating. Um, but yeah, so in this particular case, it you was... You guys understand that the point of this podcast is that narrative is bullshit, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, which is why I'm telling the story. Um, yeah, so it was just, it was heart-wrenching, and I tried to get back into the dating game um, this past year, and it was really hard, and I ended up calling it quits on a lot of um, possible potential dates, because I just, I didn't feel ready, and I, I needed much more time. Um, and yeah, so I, and actually my therapist and one of my close friends were both like, well, maybe you're putting too much pressure on yourself to get into a relationship, Morgan. Maybe you should just sleep around and have something noncommittal. And I tried that. <laughs> therapist was yeah, like, my therapist around? said that. My therapist did. Your and therapist I'm, is awesome. Well, so I tried that and I got as far as like chatting with some people on Tinder. And I'm like, nope, not a, nope, don't want to do that. Hmm. I'd love it if your therapist would like give you a prescription. Write <laughs> <laughs> down. Hey, yeah. uh, you're, my doctor wants you to sleep with me. <laughs> yeah. This is like some comma get, and that's like the, <laughs> the amount. Um, so when I met this current person, and um, I met her like, you know, six or eight months ago at a party, and we didn't really, we, we hit it off a little bit, but we didn't have a lot of time to talk amongst ourselves. And then we went out for coffee a couple of weeks ago and it went well, but I'm like taking it super slow. Cause I'm not sure where things are going and I'm not sure where I want things to be going. Cause I'm still very, you know, I'm still in that headspace. So we decided we're going to go to a museum. She is also a cartoonist and we both have similar backgrounds. We both come out of, um, undergrad where we did painting. Uh, she went to Syracuse. I went to Bard. Um, so we said, we'll go to the museum and, figured the MoMA was a good shot, a good choice. Um, so we, I got there a little bit early. Uh, I got to the, the MoMA 
about 15 minutes early and there was the biggest effing line i've i've never seen a museum busy let alone so busy that the line stretched yes dave have you ever been to the moment before um not since 2003 when it was still in queens yeah apparently it's a bit of a thing it's Here's, the worst i i had no idea i hate that fucking place really i hate it in part it's because i used to love going when it was in queens well in part it's because um my my dad always wants to go there when whenever he visits the city and my dad is the most obnoxious person to go to a museum with because he has to read every little card in every little room and like see every piece of art but also because he has no problem with crowds and lines and i have a big problem with crowds and lines and he has never understood that we're different that way so he always wants to go to the fucking busiest museum in the fucking earth <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that was the busiest i always assumed the met was the busiest but yeah so yeah the, line. the met has big spaces moma does not i've never been inside so i have no idea what to what it's like in the new space but yeah the line stretched uh one and a half long blocks and then once you got through that line there was the snarl inside the building of you know that big mass of nautilus of people and then once you got your ticket there's another long block line to get into the actual museum. And Sorry it, to jump on you again, there. but Nautilus of People is a great way of putting that. Well, thank you very much. I uh, I wish that you had just grabbed like a, like a 10-year-old kid and told him there was a ride at the end. <laughs> you know, because like yeah. anybody who'd ever been to Disneyland yeah. was like, this has got to be the best thing ever. It's amazing. Many and you get in, it's just like a big white canvas with a red dot. Yeah, and, and you're like, haha, learning. Yeah. Oh, Fooled you. So sad. And it's sad that as an adult now, I think of that as the equivalent of the Disneyland ride. Like, I was all excited to see modern art, which might be a very me-specific thing. But yeah, so I got as far as into the building, into the Nautilus of people, um, or poop coil of people is another way of looking at it. And the that is equal that is the exact polar opposite in terms of uh poetry great yeah <laughs> that's so similarly creative yeah thank yeah. you thank you and i think just as descriptive at which point the woman i was meeting uh, met uh showed up but she wasn't allowed inside because she would have to go all the way back to the end of the block and a half line and at that point i saw how many people were ahead of me and just we we're like you know what let's just not do this so we met outside and decided let's go to the whitney which was a little bit better. The line was only about half a long block. And then once we're inside, the snarl of people was a little bit more manageable. And um, it ended up being, it was very nice. As many people as there were, um, once we were in the museum, it really wasn't that bad. And um, there was, the major exhibit was this guy named Frank Stella. Now, um, my date uh, was a lot more knowledgeable about contemporary art than I am. I know a couple names here and there. I was always instructed when I was in undergrad to study up more on painters, and I was really lazy about doing that very basic homework. Um, it was also pre-internet. I mean, the internet was around, but it's not like you go on the internet and find images of anything. Um, that was before, like, everything was available online. So I'd have to go to the library and dig up and then interlibrary loan stuff. Yeah, Bard, Bard was also wi- wired in the sense that a wind-up yeah. toy is yeah. electronic. Yeah, it was an interconnected series of strings and cups that were basically our internet service. Sure, I imagine it like, it, you know, we all went to school back at that, in that general yeah, time. Yeah, this is the mid-90s, yeah. like the late-90s. That, like, now you just be like, Salvador Dali. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, Google Images. I've seen all of his work. Yeah, Google Images <laughs> wasn't a thing that existed back then. Google, I don't think, it, or maybe it was in the, the infancy of being at, was it Yale that came out of or wherever? Um, it was such early days. And so I wasn't, so I'm not the most knowledgeable about, I haven't kept up with a lot of this. But so this Frank Stella exhibit was the main attraction. And it was amazing. I was not familiar with this guy. He did these 
enormous shaped canvases, which is like it's, you know, most canvases are either rectangular or square. These have curves to them or zigzag shapes. But they're still stretched with canvas around them. And the paintings themselves were these large uh, blocks of color. And his sense of color theory was phenomenal. And it's, it's such a pretentious thing to say. And I'm well aware of that. But I, I was, I've not been as impressed by how someone could put various colors next to each other before as I was looking at this exhibit. And I, I was completely lost in his work. And um, she and I were talking about this because we both talked about how we kind of missed making paintings. One of the reasons we both got into comics, not just because that we love comics, but it's also a much more manageable art, art form. Especially when you're living in New York and you have a limited amount of space and a limited budget. You know, I can draw on my computer now, so I don't even have to buy a lot of materials. And I can produce very finished looking stuff that I'm very happy with in a very small space for very little money. Uh, to do the sort of things that Frank Stella was doing, you would need, you know, a, a cavernous space to work in, much like where we're recording this podcast. And um, a space that's not my apartment building where I can have a table saw and a chop saw. And I'm not allowed to have a dog or a cat because they're too loud. There's no way I can get away with turning half of my apartment into a studio. Um, and that was kind of heartbreaking. And the thing that really drove it home was that the work that Frank Stella had been doing in the 60s and 70s was and I don't want to pat myself on the back by saying it was similar to what I was doing, but the spirit of it was the same. I was also doing shaped canvases as an undergrad and I was doing large blocks of color. And I've done a lot of, I've tried my hand at a lot of different art forms in my life. You know, I've done improv. I do storytelling. I do comics. Um, I did some singing back in college. I did some acting, but I've never found any art form to be as immediately satisfying as doing my shaped abstract art canvases. It was, I could knock one out in a day or two and be immediately happy with it. Uh, no matter what I, once I, once I figured out what I was trying to do with them, I, I've never been so immediately happy with something I produced so quickly. It was such a wonderful sensation and it was such a hypnotic and like wonderful process to get lost in. And I, and I forgot how much I missed that when I was standing there in front of these enormous zigzag, blocks of color that Frank Stella made. And it's kind of heartbreaking. And I think it, it's one of the things that makes me sad about New York, which is as the cost of living goes up and up and up, and as we're forced to spend more of our time and money on the city, you know, we all, all the artists I know, um, for the most part, are holding down day jobs with the hope of being able to do something artistic. Because there's no way you can just focus on the art in this city. It's just, it's, that's a thing that no longer exists. There aren't cheap places where you can live and be an artist on the side. I, unless you're just doing comics. If I wanted to do those enormous paintings, I can't do that here. Um, and that made for kind of a very bittersweet uh, experience. It was, it was an amazing exhibit. I'm very glad I went. We had a really good time. We'll probably get together again. But at the same time, it really, it brought up a longing that I wasn't expecting. Um, yeah, that's that's my story. The Whitney guys, go to it if you want your heart broken. Do do you I mean, do you when you say heartbroken, do you really feel that strongly about doing that kind of work again? I do. And I I'd been feeling like, oh, I kind of miss painting for a while now, and it wasn't until I was in that exhibit. Um and this is this is the really pretentious thing was um I mean, Frank still I don't think he's still alive and, you know, the work he did, he's it's in the Whitney. Like it's very culturally um well-regarded there were elements of it that I this is such a pretentious horrible statement I felt I was doing better in my work like one very simple thing that I really liked was that when I was doing my shaped canvases I would 
make the um, the sides that most people kind of ignore. I would paint the sides. I would make sure they looked really, really nice so that the canvas looked felt like a three-dimensional object. That was very, very important to me. It made the shapes and everything just, it felt more like this, like a thing that exists um, by itself. Whereas Stella, he, it was interesting to see like the sides of the canvas weren't painted. You could see all the staples, like the canvas would be torn in parts where he was trying to make it around oddball corners. Whereas I used to do hospital folds to the canvas and then spackle it over with this like wood putty that you could paint on top of. So you couldn't see any seams. So just this like seamless um, set of edges. Um, So it it was, it was heartbreaking because I'm like, I was on my way. I was doing that thing that he's doing. And I, I had to stop, not because I lost interest or it wasn't any good, but because I just couldn't feasibly do it. And yeah, I don't know. There's no way to not sound I like mean, a pretentious douchebag about this. No, no. I mean, like you don't sound pretentious. Uh, or arrogant. Well, douchebag, yes. Oh, okay. no, no, not pretentious. You're always a douchebag. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, <laughs> no. My shit-eating grin says yes. Um, no, I mean, like, you should think you're good. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's... And, like, uh, but I, rem- I remember your... I rem- actually remember your senior show, and that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that, and it was cool. Yeah, I, and I'm exceptionally proud of that show, but it was also... It was one of those frustrating things where it wasn't something that I could parlay into anything else or even, like, pull off the wall, because it was built into the wall. It was right. painted on the wall. It's... I looked at other people's senior theses and they had pieces that they could then send to galleries. And I had an installation that I couldn't really take anywhere else. Right. And it was also, again, the early days of the internet. So like you couldn't Mm. make a website around it really accurately. Um, I mean, if it's something you want to do, there's, Oh yeah, there's there's ways. ways. Well, and this is one of the reasons why I've been so invested in the voiceover is if I can make this thing happen, um, it's flexible enough and it could pay well enough where I could maybe afford, you know, downgrade my apartment to a regular studio apartment and get, and maybe afford an actual studio space. And I would love to be, it's so many cartoonists and other artists I talk to, they all have this, this thing they say where they're like, well, I'm hoping this blank takes off so they can then do my art. Right. And that's a sentence I just said right there, but very few people are like, yeah, I'm getting paid to do this, this thing I'm good at. Um, and not ever, and it's hard to understand when you're surrounded by artists that not everyone is good at art. And that's something that I always forget. And I take for granted, like, oh, I guess, you know, maybe I don't deserve to be paid for this because like everyone's doing it. And like, but no, not everyone can do, I have this, this skill that it would be nice if it, I could do something with, and I don't even talk about pay, just like just to do, just to ha- make happen. That's one of the funny things about improv, like having done it for about 15 years, um, you hang out with a lot of improvisers and you see a lot of improv and it's mostly for improvisers. So at a certain point, people forget that they're making it up Mm. and that it is all made up and they start getting like really invested in, well, what form are we going to do? And how are we going to gimmick this gimmick? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. already made up. Yeah. The gimmick is there. It's already a magic trick. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Like it's already a magic trick. You don't need to dress it up any further. Um, yeah, every now and then I'll go out on like a date, a Tinder date or whatever with someone who's not an artist. And while those never really work out because I always feel like I'm looked at as a bit of a novelty by them, it's interesting to talk to people who have no, not only no artistic ability, but no inclination. Like they're, they appreciate art, but they've never considered making it. They don't really want to make it. And this skill that I have is genuinely unique to them. See, there you sound a little, a little conceited. Like, Do I? Yeah, a little bit. Because okay. I know plenty of people who aren't artists and who don't want to be and and i don't i don't think 
I mean, I think art is a necessary thing, but I also think accounting is. And oh no, like, I'm not. I don't mean to but like. like okay. But uh, think, and I'm not saying that you do. I'm I'm saying that. I don't think you know. <laughs> given that um, everything's going to explode <laughs> and we're all going to sure, die and sure. and and it's it's all going to end. I don't think there's really anything that uh, art does except. Um, uh, past the time. Oh, know? of course, no, and I, and I don't and mean it to sound past like the artist's time, right? And that, no, and maybe maybe I, I wasn't being clear because I'm not saying when I'm with these people that I feel in any way superior. It's just it makes me recontextualize. Like, oh, this is an actual skill I have. It's not just like some stupid right. thing I can do. I, I I would disagree. Okay, uh, for two reasons. One, I don't think it. I mean, I it does obviously pass the time, but I think if if done well. It allows people to tap into something that um, that they can relate to, that they can maybe expose about themselves in a way that they yeah. weren't able to. So I think it both um, gives an outlet for the artist and an outlet for the person who's receiving the art. But simultaneously, yeah. I, I also uh, but I also want to say that I think I understand where you're coming from in the sense of artists are generally people who have something about them that they want to share with the world that they care about that that they're passionate about and right. accounting is a necessary thing that needs to happen i did it for three years mm-hmm. uh, but i know passionate accountants i know people who love no, that well, no, and, I, I, and I that's that. and that's actually the the crux that i was trying to get to which is that there are people who are genuinely passionate about these things that a lot of artists including myself do because we're not passionate about them mm-hmm. And it's frustrating to be like, I've had to pigeonhole myself into being a graphic designer, which I'm okay at because it's the thing that pays the bills. But there are people I know who are genuinely passionate about graphic design and really love it in a way that I'm probably just never But I also to. know passionless people, people who sure. are, for whatever reason, just not that into their job and not that into really, like, there are things they could pursue, but they don't really want to. And, like, I don't think that, like, I don't think that diminishes them either. No, no, no but, but, sorry. Do you mind? Oh, go for it. Um, I, I remember I took a philosophy class. And granted, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to sound pretentious when I say this. Mm. Okay. I remember taking a philosophy class and I never really thought about it, but the, they were doing one of those Socratic things mm. and saying like, well, how do you define beauty? And everybody would argue and stuff like that. And you never really got there because it's impossible to define beauty because it, to some degree it's subjective and all that. But there must be some way if you know it when you see it kind of thing. Right. Um, and... Um, Somebody who doesn't want to have that discussion, I have a very limited uh, attention for, you know, Uh, like somebody who I've known so many D bags who want to have that conversation. Right. And Uh, I've known so many wonderful people who don't give a fuck. Like, seriously, they're just nice people. No, they they can be. But there is something. I understand where he's coming from in the sense that I think there is something different about people who want to express themselves and share it with others than there are with people who don't. Well, but on, you don't, have, on, to do, on, you don't have to do that with art. I think I think we may have gotten a little off track. No. Um, and I'm, also, I'm, I'm also not trying to say there's anything different. Um, I'm just saying it's it's a... I'm not trying to say there's anything different um, or better or worse than people who have an artistic inclination and those that don't. It, I was just trying to say that because I'm around artists all the time, it's easy to forget that this thing that I do has some value and is unique because everyone's doing it. And no one's getting paid. And no one's getting paid. And at a certain point, ev- people forget that there is a magic trick there. So when I'm around people f- for whom they aren't artistically inclined, um, or inclined rather, 
um, then it, it, it reminds me that, oh, this is a thing that I can do that is actually like, it is a bit of a magic trick. And ultimately, the, my whole point to this was just like, I had forgotten how much I missed this one particular thing and how frustrating and heartbreaking it is that I can't actually do it, not because I don't have the ability, but because I don't have the means. Right. And where that, it, where that puts us, um, where, where it puts artists, especially those who flock to New York because it was once an artistic hub and I guess still is, but can it be if no one who comes here can really afford to make art except the select few? Also, I guess that's not really different historically since usually successful artists are incredibly wealthy if you go back yeah, or have patrons patron, who are incredibly yeah. wealthy. Um, and just to be clear, I'm not saying that artists or the people with the artistic mind or people who want to do that kind of stuff are necessarily better. I'm just saying that like, that I'm personally drawn to somebody. I like really, her. I really thought for a second you were going to say, "I'm just saying I'm better." No, <laughs> uh, not to sound conceited, but I am better. Oh, you um, are better. You uh, are. And if we're if we if we are done with your story, yeah, I think we I, are. Um, we fully. Yeah. Just um, go back to my story for a moment. Yeah, please. Get, get, put your head in, in the place. Oh yeah. Because uh, there's a detail that I, I left out um, that I had intended when I had written it down for myself. Um, the reason I mentioned that I did not have my umbrella with me is because uh, my sunglasses were covered in rain. <laughs> I mean, my sunglasses, my regular glasses were yeah. covered in rain. So I also, in addition to having RP, couldn't see a goddamn thing anyway <laughs> oh, <God>. because <laughs> my glasses were wet uh, and rain was falling into my eyes. So it made it that much harder to keep that, that, that blind man alive. Have you considered an umbrella hat? I have not. It's a hat with an umbrella built onto it. Uh, no, I I have some dignity, All so right. I've not considered that fair enough. <laughs> although I'm, I'm gonna, although I'm I'm gonna, I've done a lot I'm of other stuff. I'm going to counter <laughs> that uh, that dignity statement and uh, uh, give as evidence this entire podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want to? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. On, on on that note, I'll I'll tell my my story. Um, let, let me ask you a question before yeah, you go, please, because please. I know where you're going. Okay. Do you want us to give you a hard out so you don't go on? <laughs> Forever, because you could. Uh, I do go on, don't I? No, I'm. I mean, uh, I'll keep an eye on the time. I'll try. Okay. To keep, I'll try to bring this okay. one in. I, I don't mean to insult you with that. Just no, I know from no, our pre-discussion. I'm a chatty Kathy. Um. Uh. It's uh, so. Uh, I'll get into it as quickly as I can. Um. My wife and I went to uh, visit her family for Christmas. Um. And we usually do that. We usually spend a couple days. This year we spent five days. Um, and there were a couple reasons for that. I've talked kind of them about them in previous episodes, so listen to the podcast, guys. Uh, but it would have been it would have been a tough year for the family, and we wanted to be there as a group. Uh, nobody really felt like celebrating much. We did Christmas Day together, and um, uh, Kelly has a large extended family. They all live within about a mile of each other. But uh, aside from Christmas Day, we didn't see too much of her extended family. We just stayed with her mom and her uh, mom's long-term boyfriend. And they're both uh, wonderful and, and lovely and supportive. They're kind of homebodies, and they live in a small town. Um, and it's a small town whose main economic thrust is summer tourism. So during the winter, there's very little to do. And during the holidays, there's nothing to do. <laughs> um, and we, like, the the biggest thing we did outside of Christmas was we went to breakfast one day. 
Um, and we at one point we baked a pie. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it was a really good pie. We went to Target. Nice. I did too, actually. Uh, we did not. We did not even get that far. We did not. We didn't do any shopping or returning of anything. We just mm. basically like we managed to get in like one ish activity a day, but for the most part, I'd say. On average, I had about four cups of coffee, three glasses of wine, 25-ish cookies, and spent about 12 to 14 hours on the couch. And when I say the couch, I mean there was a television that was on, there was a laptop that was on, and there was a, 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 a smartphone. And depending on how much my eyes were strained, I'd focus <laughs> on, one of, on one of the three. Yeah. Um, and uh, this was this was actually like really nice for me. I have this very intense work s- schedule where I walk ten to fifteen miles a day. I have a pretty intense life in New York as a neurotic person, where I feel constantly low level traumatized by a city full of people that are angry and loud. Um, uh, and I love New York, but it, it's it's a lot. And I hadn't really left the city in a long time. Um, so to have five days in a quiet place to just sit was was really nice, actually. Um, and by Sunday, I was completely insane. Because uh, <laughs> I had done nothing to the point of, like, forgetting my own name at times and, like, not really knowing. Like, you ever do so much nothing that your eyes start to stop? <laughs> Like you can't actually focus out and like your hearing starts to be weird and you're just sort of like, am I hallucinating no, that, or am I just bored? That's a stroke. Okay. I was having a stroke. stroke. Yeah, that, I had, that I had don't multiple strokes. I think I've ever had happen. Um, well, have you ever done so much nothing that it becomes like physically painful? <laughs> like you're just sort of sitting there and like, ow, <laughs> I've been sitting so long. It was great. <laughs> no, it really was. Um, one thing though, like, I mean, we watched, the four of us watched a lot of television and um, basically like without saying anything, it became a tacit agreement that we'd watch two channels. We would watch HGTV or the Game Show Network. Now, the Game Show Network we would watch because 22 out of 24 hours of their programming are Family Feud. Mm-hmm. And Family Feud is either, depending on how you watch it, um, uh, a... a, a a coming together of American culture where like the, fa- the nuclear family is exalted or a stunning indictment of same. And it's <laughs> kind of up to you. Like it has, it takes a very agnostic approach to the fact that most of the answers given by the survey takers are pretty much racist or sexist. It takes, it takes a very agnostic approach to that. It just presents it. Steve Harvey smiles every time it happens and he goes, well, what do you think? Uh, uh, Joe yes. and I were watching an episode of, Family Feud. We don't watch it that often. We we have maybe watched like three episodes in the last year, uh-huh. and one of the categories was, "What color do you think Steve Harvey's underwear are?" <laughs> All right, and it was just basically them like trying to think of colors, <laughs> <laughs> and people be like, "Red, like good answer, good answer." It's like, no, that's like, yeah. why would you yeah. wear red? Yeah, it's just like. You're just naming colors. Yeah, it's, it's the lowest form yeah. of anything <laughs> that could be a thing. Steve Harvey is also an amazing host. Like, 
Because, is he? Yes, he is. Well, one, he's like a stand-up from back in the day. So, sure. like, he's got his crowd work down. He can insult. Yeah, the, he can insult like idiots when they make when they say something stupid to their face and make it seem like he's shaking their hand. He also eighty-five percent of what he says is the same thing every time. Every time somebody has two strikes, the next person he comes to, he goes, "Got to be careful. Got two strikes." But every time he says it, he makes it sound like it's the first time he's ever said it. Because he's that polished, he's that much of a fucking professional. He, other than that one thing he did. Uh, well, well, I mean, even that he took his lumps. He took he his did, lumps like did. a man. I give him serious credit he for stood that. there and he was like, "Everybody's gonna hate me now." All right, mm-hmm. and he did it. And I mean, I think Steve Harvey is legitimately like really talented and funny. But okay. uh, I digress. A bit of a misogynistic, homophobic jerk, but. Yeah, very, I mean, very I mean, skillful comedian. Obviously, he's a comedian from like it yeah. was like started well, like forty years ago. Yeah. Like, well, he's also I think an evangelical too. And and for the record, uh, brown was the color they didn't get. They didn't get brown, huh? They didn't get brown. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. For the because I know you people are going to be. I know everybody at home was wondering like what color? Yeah. What color didn't they guess? Because they guessed right. all of them except for one, <laughs> and it was brown. I'm going to point out that you started this by saying. I might take too much time on this story. Anyway, go ahead. Um, Sorry. Talk more about underwear. That's all right. So, a, uh, uh, so Steve Harvey. Then the other thing we'd watch is the game show, is, uh, is the home shopping, uh, uh, not home shopping. Home Ho- gardening? Home and garden, uh, HGTV. HGTV is great because it is completely legal to hate everyone on it. No matter where you are coming in, no matter what your background is, if you see people who are trying to buy a house, trying to decide between three houses in Bora Bora, or trying to decide whether they should spend $85,000 on renovating one house or just buying a new one, you are allowed to hate them. And everybody does. Everybody does. And they and HGTV presents them in a completely hateable way. HGTV is very smart about that. Um, yeah, they have a show called uh, House Hunters Island Edition. Yeah. Where Ugh. you're buying an island. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, you know, fuck everybody on that. Yeah. Um, and it's great. So we had a great okay. old time. We, we just lost all of our island owning audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Who will be my patron? <laughs> or, yeah. We had a great time watching that. Uh, Sunday around 9 p.m., though, we ran out of TV. Um, there was... Game Show Network was showing a, t- a, a show that was original content. And here's the thing. All the simple ideas for game shows have been had. Mm. I can describe Jeopardy in a sentence. Family Feud in two sentences. But now, if you want to make a new game show for some reason, because there's literally 80 years of Family Feud, you could watch that forever. Uh, no, we want, to, we want to make our own content for whatever reason. If you want to do that, you have to make a an incredibly complicated and obscure game show where the, where every five minutes the, the host has to interrupt to introduce a new rule set. And if you get up to use the bathroom, you just are batshit confused. So we didn't watch that. HGTV was uh, showing Tiny Houses. Tiny Houses is like every other show on HGTV. You have to choose between three houses and you're, they've already chosen, but they were going to make it pretend like you hadn't. The thing is they're choosing between tiny houses tiny ones which are inherently there's so much less of them (laughs) so like the major choice is whether you get three windows or two and there's no way that's interesting 
or hateful. Right. They were just out of houses. <laughs> right. Just out of houses. We're down to the tiny ones. And Are they like at least adorable houses? Nah. Like, uh, like one guy on one episode we watched, one guy just picked like this room basically oh. and uh, no windows and, and, and was living in it with his seven-year-old daughter. So it was kind of like, this is, this is really upsetting. Well, this, this room is 3,000 square feet this to is, hold an 800 square foot table. Yes, it's true. But for just one person and their seven-year-old daughter, yeah. I mean, it yeah. might still be not enough. The tiny house didn't have walls. Right. Yeah. Um, it didn't have walls. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, so you mean it was a tent? <laughs> <laughs> tiny tent. <laughs> no, I mean, it had exterior walls. There were no interior walls for privacy between the oh, creepy okay. guy and his... So that actually would be perfect, this yeah. giant cavernous For so the space. record, we're not even to the meteor story, right? No, we are not. Okay. So, uh, getting there. So we flipped around and my mother-in-law stopped on, um, 10 minutes in to, uh, 2012, mm-hmm. which is a movie that was made in 2009. Uh, that posits that the Mayans were correct. Should we should we say spoiler? No, <laughs> I'm going to spoil the entire I movie mean, for you. If but anyone's you, listening to this and you know we're going to be talking at length about this movie and you're worried about spoilers, maybe come back and go watch it and then come back to it. This, yeah, don't. It'll or help. Don't bother because it's, it's, it's a terrible movie. Counts. Yeah, it's terrible. You should watch terrible it. Terrible movie. Um, so, uh, 2012 was made in 2009. It posits that the Mayans were correct for some reason <laughs> when they said which they didn't that the world would end in 2012 um this is of course by the same man who brought us anonymous uh, the weird theories about shakespeare that no one really yeah that don't really exist but a bunch of people suddenly believed i i, I love the thing with the with the uh with the minds too where it's like look we made a calendar for a really long time yeah. we just had to stop yeah at we a had point. to stop somewhere and for <laughs> us mean, 12 is kind of a round number yeah and uh, the other thing with the, i mean the minds Here's the thing. They had Stone Age technology and spent a lot of time just fucking straight up slitting each other's throats. Why would we trust them yeah. on anything? I'd be right about this one thing. Um, there were they were obviously crazy people. So uh, they also didn't say that the world would end. They just ran out of space. Um, anyway, but no, they're, they're correct because science apparently in this movie. Sure. Um, and uh, this movie spent. Here's the thing about the movie uh, 2012. It's a procedural. It actually looks like an episode of CSI just done with uh, big time effects and pouring $200 million into it. Everybody's in it. Danny Glover's in it. Woody Harrelson's in it. Um, Amanda Peet, back when she was Amanda Peet as opposed to Amanda Peet. Um, uh, they're they it, it's got star power up the wazoo a terrible storyline and you know exactly where it's going like it is a fucking procedural here here we go there's only one way out at any given time never do they have to make a choice they crash one plane there's another plane it's a bigger plane it's got some weird you know thing that they have to do but they have to do it because they have to go uh a lot of the movie i would say 10 times in the movie two things fall towards a center <laughs> and they have to drive whatever vehicle they're in through that increasingly small triangle. Uh, and they always do. Good mm. for them. Right, but they could not go faster, and they always go faster. Yeah, yeah. They could have chosen Yeah, to... they could have been going faster the whole time. Yeah. Um, I don't... I, the, it's not that simple. The, <laughs> look, science, 2012, the um, So I'm sitting here watching this movie and getting increasingly like, oh, this is so fucking dull. 
uh, and I, I, no tension is being developed, that I started thinking more and more about the movie and started realizing there are some very strange things at work. One of the strangest things is that it asks us to root for John Cusack, um, who may be the nicest person alive, but he's also the star of this movie, which means that he is going to live through it and eventually reunite with his estranged ex-wife. His estranged ex-wife is never given a job or like, uh, I think she gets a name at some point, but her basically her, her, her duty in the film is to, fo- is to be a foil to uh, John Cusack. Uh, to, I'm to sorry, him. stay-at-home mom's not a job anymore, Dave? Is that what you're saying? You're saying that stay-at-home moms If she was, don't, if don't she was a, a stay-at-home mom, it was never stated. I, I think it's pretty obvious. Nor was her husband's job ever stated. His only job in the movie was to scream whenever they came upon a new plane, I can't fly that. I've only got 20 hours flight time and then fly it. He saves them repeatedly. Right. That guy. Then he dies. Sorry. Um, he has to die so that they can get back together. Again, right. this is a procedural. You know it's going to exalt the nuclear family. They know the, 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 the two kids who, as best I can tell... Um, were named girl child and boy child <laughs> in the script, and their job was to scream. Um, they have to, you know, uh, uh, get back. Their mom and dad have to get back together, which is fine. Again, I'm not expecting anything more from this movie. But here's the weirdest part of this movie: the movie posits that the way humanity is going to survive is that all the governments in the world knew this was going to happen because science. And so they all banded together and secretly built in the mountains of Tibet four arcs, seagoing arcs, that would carry about 100,000 people, the most important people in the world, on them. The way they financed this, the movie says, is that they sold tickets to billionaires at a billion dollars a pop. There's about five hundred billionaires so the most they could get out of this is 500 billion dollars which wouldn't be in my in my my thinking no you're right the u.s spends over a trillion on the u.s military every year right and that's not five arcs also you're putting it in disputed territory Mm. like tibet is claimed by china that's a good point but it claims its own claims it's not that's the beauty of tibet dude yeah. Um, There's not enough oversight in the area, so the nobody's... Chinese military, the idea that the Chinese would, like, people would show up and be like, let us on, and the Chinese would be like, yeah, sure. In the movie, was the explanation just that it was, like, the highest... Like, was there an explanation why it was Tibet? Uh, no. Because I feel like if you're going to do that, why not just use I Mount think, Ararat, where the supposed actual arc supposedly is, according well, to Well, I think because, like, it was hard to get to, um, so, okay. like, you could do it in secret inside the mountains... Um, sure. P.S. The idea that this would remain secret is ludicrous. Um, but that's not that weird. You, you know, you can lie past that. The weird part is, and the thing that started making me really angry, uh, John Cusack is a driver. He's a, he's a, he's a limo driver for a billionaire, which is how when their, their first plane crashes, they crash at the airfield that the billionaire happens to be at, um, and he needs a co-pilot for his Russian pilot to fly a huge plane to get them to China. Whatever. Um, 
so again screaming i can't fly i've only got 20 hours of flight time you'll be fine Meanwhile, there are all these people at this air, airfield. The president is on TV making a brave stand where he's not running for it. He's staying in D.C. and going down with the ship, basically. Super volcanoes are going off everywhere. Tsunamis <laughs> are going off everywhere. Everyone in the world is shown dying. But billionaires are getting on planes and flying to safety and John Cusack's plan is, I will join a billionaire and sneak onto an ark. You got a better plan? Why, why am I supposed... Why? You don't have a better plan, do you? Every... I mean, I can... Build your own ark. Get a bunch of rowboats and belts and put time. them together. I can, I can see why he'd do it, but I'm not sure why I'm supposed to see it as heroic. Because if he gets on that ark... He's taking it away from somebody else. And John Cusack is a limo driver. His, 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 his ex-wife is never given any kind of importance other than to John Cusack and their kids. These aren't people who are going to save the world or repopulate it post the Ark landing. Morgan, what? He, was he trying to sneak his kids on at least? Was there that level of sacrifice or? The kids are never really like supposed to be a thing. They're just like, he, yeah, he saves his kids because that's what you do. Right. Um, right he, but I mean, he wasn't going to like, but he is not, let he, them burn a fiery death. Like, or so he can like every other person in the movie does. Right. No, I get that. Literally billions die in this movie. And I'm supposed to care about John Cusack, who basically lies his way in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it does sound like they, they do not bother to paint a sympathetic character. It, well, here's apart the, the, here's the thing. Right. Maybe they tie it together in the last act. Because an hour and a half in, my mother-in-law goes, oh, wait, I think I've seen this. And changes the channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't protest, even though at this point I had a furious anger on for this movie and all that it was saying and all its confusing uh, feelings it was bringing up in me because I didn't want to admit that it made me feel that way. <laughs> I didn't want to admit that it. That I so you don't know how anything. it ends? I, I Wikipedia it. Okay. Almost immediately. <laughs> That's not the one Here, where the ship's going to space eventually, no. is it? No, no. That's no. a different Here, disaster. Here's, okay. Here's the thing. Maybe you're not aware of this. There's something called porn. Uh, Go on. <laughs> and okay. In, in, you had me at porn. <laughs> and in porn, people randomly have sex with each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're not really 100% sure why, but we just happen to catch this particular slice of life. Right, sure. At the moment where but they are porn. sympathetic because we also want to have sex with people at the time right, we're watching right. porn. Um, this type of movie is yeah. known as destruction porn. Right, sure. This is the metaphorical housewife sleeping with the delivery man right. type thing. We don't know what he was delivering. So basically, we like, don't know where else well, he's right. got to go. All, the earth is like, I might blow up. And then, hey, I'm a limo driver. I'm just swinging by. Hey, limo driver, come into my blown up planet. And right. he drives through a right. tightening hole as things start falling around him. Right. It's not about. You. What? <laughs> it's not about the scenario. It's about the sex. And right. in this case, the sex it's about is the explode the is the super volcano. Right. Right. And also, I mean, we all want the world to blow up. We all actually wait, do. Wait, hold on. No, wait, yeah. No. See there what? that's where you No, every because in, in it's like this. Everybody um 
when they're in a relationship, spend some amount of time thinking, oh, if I was single and a swinging dick. And everybody who is single thinks about, oh, if I was in a relationship, I would solve my problems. And everybody who has a job thinks, oh, if I didn't have that job, I would have more time to do my art. And everybody who has all that <laughs> wow, time. Wow, subtle wait, dig. So everybody <laughs> has all the time to do that art thinks, oh, fuck, I have no fucking money. It's, it's always greener on the other side. And the biggest green on the other side is fucking. Is blowing up the is, planet. Is anarchy. Is the lack of society. No one thinks, well, libertarian. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But nobody else thinks it's a good idea. Nobody thinks it's a good idea, but ev- that, that's why zombie movies exist. Because you, everyone because thinks they'll be the one. Everybody thinks they'll be the one to right. survive. Everybody thinks it'll be John Cusack. You. Um, <laughs> you really don't like John Cusack. No, I think he might be a wonderful person. I think he probably is a wonderful right, person. You don't like the he characters get, he He gets plays. as much work as he does, but the characters he plays are universally D-bags. The best role he ever played was, was in High Fidelity, uh, and it was the douchiest douche to ever douche a douche. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to say, and I think we should wrap this up pretty soon, sure. but I'm going to have to say that I think in this story, you are the villain for not sticking it out to the end of the movie. <laughs> And cheating and finding out you are the John Cusack of your story while lying your way to the end of the story. That's true. That's true. Uh, Your mother-in-law was the disaster in that she changed the channel, killing the movie, and you did nothing to protest. You are everything you hate. Yeah. I already knew that. I'm going to (laughs) start referring to you as John Cusack from now on. Please don't. (laughs) All right. I think that's about it for this week. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. I like that we talked about movies but we managed to avoid talking about star wars the biggest movie we talked about anything not related to that and we talked about during the holidays but the one thing we didn't really bring up was the holidays so i think this is roundly successful guys great job thanks everyone for listening and come back in two weeks bye we love you kisses (laughs) 